Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson Monday morning. Let's go, man. Yes. Yeah. Go. We have a big announcement. Start. Let's start with the big announcement. Okay. PFF live in Indianapolis Thursday night. Is it the 27th? Yes. February 27th. 10 days from now. We're going to be live. Where? Tin roof? The tin roof in Indianapolis. Oh, man. It's actually happening. They actually gave us a live show. They did. They agreed to it. Yeah. We're going to be live in Indianapolis that Thursday night, 7 p.m. Apparently, that's 36 South Pennsylvania Street, Indianapolis. Yeah, you got to check it out. So if you guys are in and around Indianapolis or basically anywhere in the United States besides Alaska or Hawaii, or Hawaii, you should probably just make your way there. Why you got to be racist against... They can come down, too. The, whatever the opposite of the lower 48 is. I mean, the conti- contiguous. Well, they always say lower, even though Hawaii is you know. the, the most southern state. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get into the geography stuff this week. We had, okay. I mean, last week, we still haven't even settled the continent issue yeah, last sure week. We it. But um, I mean, the comment, the comment section was, was also torn. Huh. Anyway, so the show's live. Yes. You can come down from Canada, too. I mean, the trip from Canada is not that far. It's probably closer than a lot of states. Yeah, it's definitely closer. I mean, it's closer than like Washington right. and Montana, places like that. So we're going to be there. We're working on the guest list. We've got some big names. We have some mediocre names and we have some fallback names. Not going to lie. That's just what we're dealing with right now. Which category do we fall into? Oh, we're the fallback option. Uh, like worst case scenario, it's just you and me talking up there for two hours. <laughs> Best case scenario, we've got some really good stuff planned. Yes, so it's going to be good. We're, we're, we root for best case scenario here. So go check it out. If you guys are making your way to the combine, it's the Thursday night. Um, I believe the workouts start on Thursday for one of the position groups. They run Thursday through Sunday this year. Uh, as far as the combine goes, it's a big media event. So a lot of media will be there. Obviously, all the teams are there the entire week. So we're trying to get some very special guests for the show. Mm-hmm. And everything is long over in terms of, you know, actual things that people need to do. So this is. This is only eating into drinking time, and there's drinks at the venue. Yeah, and we already have a couple people confirmed to be there. A couple people. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate the guy that has an exam, and he's sending his girlfriend to represent, you know, his 
how many relationship of your, apparently how, how many of your two confirmed fans are going to be there i have no idea most of my fans are underage i don't know if they can get in uh okay that's to the problem. tin roof i don't think the tin i don't know I, i'm sure you can get into the tin roof underage right i haven't checked the restaurant and everything you know yeah it's like a bar and grill right right the so you can get bar. in just can't drink legally so i think we'll have at least three or four people there three or four yeah huh and then again, worst case scenario, PFF's bringing like 30 people to this thing. So we're going to have all of them there. Rick Drummond will be there. Neil will be there harassing us. It's not way Rick showing up to this. Th- there's beer there. <laughs> Do you think, is Neil, are we going to bring Neil on stage for anything? God, I hope not. Are we going to have him pronounce names? Neil, we can't. Okay. We, okay we, you we, pronouncing we, names would be pretty. Okay. Pretty we pronounced. have all sorts of fun segments. Uh, planned and potential. Let us know if you guys have any uh, special guests that you really want us to procure. Let us know. Hashtag let us know. Yeah. So PFF Live, Thursday night, February 27th. Can't wait. We'll have some giveaways. We'll have some some swag. PFF swag giveaways. You're just all about making this as expensive as humanly oh. possible. I just thought of some, a great idea. Yeah? What do you got? Um, one of our guys in the office has access to a t-shirt cannon. I think hold on this needs to happen here I forgot that video existed can you just uh, keep the people busy while I type into the group that we need this to happen okay yeah so there's a guy in the office video surface of somebody that looked remarkably like somebody in the office going out of his mind with a t-shirt cannon at the Reds game turns out it actually was the person from our office he's one of the like the hype Boys, the hype, I don't know what you call those people. The people with the t-shirt cannons firing stuff into yeah. the crowd at Great America Ballpark. What the hell is that stadium called? Great America Ballpark. There you go. The GAB. I knew that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's him. So yeah, he doesn't have that like, they don't let him take that home, right? I imagine he has enough connections to like drive down the street, pick up the cannon for a couple hours. But it's not like sitting in his you know locker at home. He I don't know if you safely. have to bring your own cannon. I assume it's the team's property. Do you have to have a like a gun safe for your t-shirt cannon? Have you got to have it under lock and key? Well, because Mark over there would have, I mean, he's allowed to hey, use he'd a t-shirt cannon. He'd have an appropriate place to store it. Anthony says those bad boys are around $3,000. Well, yeah, uh, that's why we're not trying to buy one. We're trying we gotta, to steal it. We're going to borrow from the Reds. Borrow. Yeah, we'll bring it back. Yeah, air quotes, borrow. Anyway, we got a lot of great stuff planned February 27th. The rest of this show, we have some buyer beware free agents. Free agencies right around the corner. We're going to talk about them. And we're going to get into some of the stuff that you and I both wrote on the site this week. You gave the Patriots some very tangible solutions to their playmaker problem. Yeah. Some very specific trades, free agent uh, possibilities, and draft possibilities. Yes. And I went and did a full in-depth breakdown on Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. the presumed number one overall pick. So we'll get into all of that uh, and much more because we just it's off-season mode and we just never know where the podcast is going to go. Yeah, that's part of the beauty of the PFF NFL podcast. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. So the Patriots are in this tough spot entirely of their own making, right? Because A, they kind of need to get Tom Brady back. And they've structured this thing in such a way that he's going to hit free agency unless they can extend him before free agency. And there's no way that's going to happen until he proves or they prove to him that they're capable of actually giving him some people that can get open lest he look like crap like he did this season. I don't for all of Brady's, you know, what does he want? I don't think he wants to be made look like an idiot because the rest of the people around him can't hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. So 
the Patriots need to find receiving help and they need to do it pretty quickly in such a way that they can bring him back once they've done it. Now, their receiving core is such a mess, having sort of swung and missed on a few of those, you know, um, high risk, low or high reward, high risk um, additions to the receiving core. So the Antonio Browns, the Josh Gordons, none of them worked out this time. The Nikhil Harris hasn't worked out yet. So they're left with Julian Edelman and a bunch of nobodies. So I think that they need to attack that position or the positions with receiver and tight end in multiple different ways. Like they need to, one guy is not fixing this problem. They need to actually attack multiple different spots. And I think the good news is that this is actually a good off season to need that, right? Because I think there's a lot of guys potentially available. The first one is the Patriots have this history of not using the draft and actually trading you know, commodity for proven NFL veterans already, right? Which puts some names on the table that wouldn't be there for most teams. So number 23, would that get you a Stefan Diggs from the Minnesota Vikings? Now, Mr. Cryptic tweeter. Diggs is interesting because this is like going on a year plus of him seemingly agitating for a move out of Minnesota, right? On the other hand, he might just be one of these people it's kind of a little bit crazy and tweets bullshit, right? And it's like, oh, look, what is he trying to say here? The Patriots already just, tried that with Antonio Brown. Right. Like maybe he's just tweeting crap and this is what he does, right? At the very minimum, he isn't actively diffusing the idea that he wants out of Minnesota. At the maximum, he wants out of Minnesota and therefore the Vikings might be willing to deal him. By the way, the history of New England, I mean, they brought Randy Moss in via trade, Mm -hmm. Wes Welker through trade, both the same year, obviously, Um, Cooks and then Brandon Cooks and the so. But but here's here's like the tricky part of of the way the Patriots do business. On one hand, the Cooks deal was actually genius. They traded a first round pick, got a year of service out of him and then traded him for another first round pick. So they basically got a free year of service out of him exchanging, you know, and getting their first round pick back. On the other hand, there's always that risk with, okay, well, their receiving course since they got rid of him into, like, since two, you know, 2018 and 19 has not been good, which was similar to earlier in Brady's career. They get rid of Dion Branch, and it kind of took them two years before they brought Moss and Welker in to kind of replace him. So they like to kind of play the value game, roll the dice. I mean, but then there's also points when they realize, hey, we really need to make a move here and then bring people in. Um, so they've kind of worked both ways on that. That's where I could see a, a guy like Diggs. I mean, you, you know, could make you could make the argument that the Patriots have basically just fundamentally undervalued the wide receiver position for a while now, and it's caught up with them. Now, yeah, well, they, like, well, made, Tommy will carry it, and you know he'll right. make do with who we have. And they've made moves, as you say, in the past to sort of they've made acute fixes, acute moves to fix the issue short term, but they've always like looked long term to ah, we don't really need to pay them. So the Cooks thing, right? You make the first round pick. The first round trade, you get cooks, it transforms your offense. And it's like, well, we can get it back. Let's get rid of them. We can replace that. And you couldn't, you haven't yet. So it's still a problem. Maybe at some point you need to do the whole, look, you need to do a Stefan Gilmore, right? And say, look, at some point, this is one of the most important positions in the game. This is the guy we need to pay market setting money for. They haven't yet. And I don't think they're going to, which is why I'm looking at guys like Diggs. Um, another couple of people that might be available for trade. How much would the Browns take for Odell Beckham right now? Like it, that was supposed to be this amazing connection. Mayfield, 
Odell Beckham. Now, look, Beckham was dealing with a sports hernia. He clearly wasn't 100% all last season. Um, everything in Cleveland went to hell last season. People lost their jobs at the end of the year right. because of it. You can definitely look at that and say, look, Stefanski's come in. There's a new regime. We think that this year it will be the realization of what we thought last year would be. We just put it off for a year while everything fell to pieces. On the other hand, you can look at what happened in the last 12 months and say there is no way that that combination of personalities works together long term. It's just too many alpha type personalities trying to, you know, pull in different directions. So if somebody came in and said, hey, how would you find what would you think to uh, number 23 in the draft for for Odell Beckham? Oh, I think the Browns would definitely take that at right. this point. And for but the Patriots, the Patriots were already exploring. And everything that, that was all the positives of Odell Beckham are still there. Like the guy is still one of the most talented receivers in the game. Multiple seasons with a PFF grade over 90. Um, for a period of like three years, he led all receivers in broken tackles after the catch. The right. guy has incredible talent and should function in that Patriots offense. Plus, they only have the one personality to try and diffuse, not like three or four of them. And and I think, you know, the, the guys that you've mentioned so far, Diggs, Odell Beckham, and the third guy that you wrote about, Keenan Allen from the Chargers, all guys that are good route runners, guys mm-hmm. that can win on the outside, guys that can win in the slot, basically really good. I mean, they're really good receivers yeah. all around, but they're also different. Like an Alshon Jeffrey contested catch type is not the type no. of guy you want to give Tom Brady, even though they drafted. I honestly Harry. love the Stefan Diggs fit. I think if they could make that happen, that would transform this receiving core. The other thing is, so Diggs, you know how many times he saw double digit targets this year? The one just gone once. Yes. Bearing in mind that Thielen didn't play for a bunch of them. Right. A bunch I, of those games. It was crazy. Yeah, they they would make him a high volume option. And the game where he got that seven catches for 163 yards or 67 and three touchdowns. Yeah. So like if you feed that guy high volume, he produces and the Patriots would do that a lot. Plus he wins in every conceivable way. Like he wins with route running. He wins with speed. He has in the last three years, I think the best contested catch rate of any receiver in the NFL. Um, He would be an absolute beast in that offense. Plus I, so I, I can't remember who it was that said it on the broadcast, but it was like, you know, defenses respect Adam Thielen, but Diggs is the guy that scares them. Like for all the production difference or whatever between the two of them, like Diggs is the one that defenses are scared by. Yeah, he wins at every level. He wins in contested situations. He can. He's a good route runner. He's good after. I mean, he is good at all those things. That is something you could say the same for with OBJ at his best. Keenan Allen maybe not as well rounded as those guys, but maybe the best pure route runner. That's my third option. Yeah, no, I, I already gave it away. Yeah. Uh, it's at pff.com okay um i yeah keenan allen wins with separation i think this one is a little more debatable as to whether he's even available like this would rely on the charges essentially saying philip rivers is gone we're moving on from him we might be drafting a rookie at six are they um and even if we are we think that like it's not going to be the the timeline isn't going to mesh so we're going to cash in on keenan allen potentially uh, draft a new wide receiver in this great receiving class and have the two young guys develop at the same time rather than have the rookie developing with an aging Keenan Allen. You know what I mean? Or they might be prepared to move on from that and sort of start again more conclusively. You worked this. You worked under the assumption that they're they're trying to build around Tom Brady, bring Brady back yes. and all that stuff. But they could also move on from Tom Brady and they still need to make similar moves. They still have some issues. What if they signed Philip Rivers and brought his friend Keenan Allen? into new England. Now we're, now this is like, this is like playing Madden. This is yeah. fantasy type stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
I assume Brady's going to be back. The tricky part about the timing of all this is obviously free agencies before the draft. So it's not like they can, you know, instill confidence in Tom with four draft picks. Correct. And then Brady's a free agent at the same time as all these guys. Mm -hmm. So some sort of trade would have to happen ahead of time. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, for Brady to come back to New England, he needs some sort of evidence that the situation is going to be better. Yeah. So it's so either, it almost has to be a trade, right? Well, it's trade or free agency, right? I assume Brady's not going to sign within the first 24 hours of free agency. So if you make a move early, you know, you can at least convince him. And I think there's some decent free agent options as well. So AJ Green is a guy that we haven't really mentioned who might be a trade candidate because the Bengals could tag and trade him rather than just let him walk out of the building. Yeah. Green, I think is, again, I think he'd be a good fit in New England. I don't, I, I think he'd cost a lot. Yeah. Like I think his problem is that he would he's still one of the higher echelon guys. So I don't think because of what we talked about that they just I don't think they value the position this way. I don't think they're going hard after Amari Cooper, who is like the marquee receiver right, name in right. free agency who's going to re- command the Stephon Gilmore contract. I don't think they're going to do that with Cooper. And for the same reason, I don't think they'll go after A.J. Green because as much as he's older, et cetera, I think he's still going to command monster money. I think Green is the guy they kick the tires on just in case the league has all devalued him at the same time. Yeah, said you're like if he's still he around. Played, he's all banged up, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And then they would swoop in and try right. to grab one if of those. If he's somehow still around contracts. like a week and a half into free agency because the contra- or the, the market on him is soft, then I the, could see them swooping in. But they're not going to match, you know, $15 million a year for him. The thing about those... Um, those like second tier free agent contracts. The the appeal in New England previously was take a little less money. Here's your chance to win a Super Bowl. Finish your career here. You know you get to play with Tom Brady and all that stuff. H- have they completely lost that selling point? They're no longer the big dog in the AFC, competing with the Chiefs, the Ravens, whole bunch of other teams on the rise. Brady's not even completely locked up. If there is a you know lower contract opportunity. For an AJ Green, is it even as appealing as it was five years ago? Well, it's I mean, it's not as appealing, but it's I don't think they've lost the thing. Their problem is that it's like, hey, take a little bit less money. You play with Tom Brady. You get to win another Super Bowl. And the guy's like, OK, and, and when will Tom be arriving here? Because the moment Tom's a free agent. So yeah, that, right. that is uh, their problem. It's, right? a, it's a harder sell. It's not that, you know, it's not that that whole concept is lost draw. I think that would still sell people. It's that like you can't really like at the moment you're selling something you don't have. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they don't have Brady under contract. So this idea of take a little bit less money. Tom Brady will, you know, will be the reason we win Super Bowls. You're like, well, OK, but you don't have Brady. So at the moment, you're just asking me to take less money. Um, but. I think there's a few cheaper free agent options that are interesting. Emmanuel Sanders is obviously not a long-term solution, but then neither is Brady. So Sanders still getting it done despite wrecking his Achilles a couple of years ago, dominating, um, had like a top 20 grade this season, despite being traded, made a clear difference to the 49ers passing offense. When he arrived, I think he'd be another really good. I mean, he's kind of similar to Stefan Diggs in terms of the way he wins a lot of quality in him. I think he'd be a good fit there. Um, Hunter Henry is available at tight end. That's the guy I think New England. So here's the be thing: really interested in all of the f- all of the free agent tight ends are basically the same, right? They're all talented receiving options who have massive injury red flags. Whether it's Hunter Henry, Tyler Eifert, Jordan Reed, they're all they're all incredible. All those guys, I mean, Eric Ebron and Austin Hooper. Well, they're just are not different. great. But 
the ones that are actually talented are the ones that have massive injury red flags. Somebody is going to end up getting a steal because one of those guys is going to turn like pan out. You know what I mean? They're going to go on a run where they don't get hurt for like two or three years. And it's going to be, how did everyone miss on this guy? What were they thinking? How did they let the Patriots snag? I've expected Tyler Eifert to end up in New England for quite a while. I mean, that does feel like the low risk. I could see I upside opportunity. I could see Henry as well. And uh, low risk, meaning if they can get him for cheap money because of all the injuries, it's high risk because he's you know always hurt. But. Right. So that's the thing. I don't know what the contract is going to be like on any of these tight ends because the talent is so big, but so is the injury. Henry's risk. still still so young. And when he's been healthy, he looks like a top five receiving tight end. Except last year, which is ironic because obviously that's the most recent piece of evidence. Um but Henry was a guy who can, I mean, obviously massively upgrade the bunch of stooges they had at the position this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Henry's going to be coveted Yeah, tight ends. One more name that intrigued me as a free agent, um, Brashad Perriman. That doesn't seem like a fit at all for Why New not? England and the Patriots. Um, I don't know that he's the most precision route runner. Neither was Josh Gordon. Yeah, but like Gordon, you could trust to did run. You just compared. Yes, I did. I did. I compared it. You can run slants. Post Tell and me goes Perriman is incapable of running slants, posts and goes. Get I, out of here. Gordon wasn't. He's he's a good route runner. Gordon. <laughs> no, but they did. I mean, they were they weren't on the same page. With Here's some the thing, stuff, right? But. My point with all this stuff is you need multiple different options, right? Perriman is not the answer. Right. Having said that, Perriman can do a much better job of taking the top off a of defense than Philip Dorsett can. And you don't have anybody doing that at the moment. Yeah, to fill, to so, fill say, a Philip Dorsett type right. role. Perriman can be a viable deep threat in your offense. He was a pretty good contested catch guy this past season. He eliminated the drops problem, which was his issue in Cleveland and Baltimore. And he made some big plays. I'm, I'm saying that of all the options, this guy I don't think is going to be a highly coveted. Like he's going to sign somewhere for like one year, seven million. You should definitely take that as a deal if you're the Patriots, because why the hell not? Oh, yeah. And like a prove it again type of year. Right. One year, seven million. You have a guy who should be able to take the top of your defense. If it craps out, all it cost you was seven million dollars worth of cap space. You're fine. You should absolutely be snagging that and adding one or two more other guys. See, I think if they just got a Stefan Diggs, the trickle down effect, you have Diggs and Edelman on the field. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's two trusted guys. Yes. It moves Muhammad Sanu down a peg. Where, Off the roster. Well, I think Muhammad Sanu is a viable number three and a questionable number two. Well, right? so I would say you get Diggs, you get Edelman, you have Nikhil Harry, who they have to try and salvage. This I was going to get there, but, and but you it, probably draft someone as well, at which point Muhammad Sanu is expendable. Yeah, but I, I still think a Sanu is a three and then Harry is a gadget player or finally move him to the slot or like a big t- you know a move tight end type of uh, route tree for Harry mm-hmm. and then you still need to find a tight end they cannot trot out the slowest tight ends in the NFL again you still need to figure out something a tight end so I think it's digs in a tight end right that that combination could could completely turn things around make life attractive for Brady to come back in New England and, and have that one last go yeah, that's what I think. Uh-huh. And, now, and, and, you know, the draft, the, the tough part is you gave up a two for Sanu. And here we are. The guys that you listed in the draft, Brandon Ayuk and Jalen Rager, KJ Hamler, 
draft capital would be really useful. It would be with this wide receiver class if you if you have that massive need this year. It would, and I think because like obviously the Patriots are never picking up at the top, so that the very high end guys, the CD Lambs, the Jerry Judys, Rugs, probably they're all out of reach, yeah. right? So you're looking at this sort of second, third tier of guys. The good news is, I think that because it's such a stacked receiver class, somebody's going to like fall. Oh yeah, and you're going to have a really good player way lower down than you should have. TJ Hill. Yeah, Ohio somebody State like that. Nice. And I think Ayuk's interesting, right? Because you would actually team him back up with Nikhil Harry, which is would be kind of fascinating. They're they're the same class, right? They're both like Harry came out as a junior, Ayuk yeah. stayed as a senior, yep. and looks at the time of coming out like a dramatically better prospect, which is intriguing because when they were both playing at the same time, Harry was the guy was the guy in that offense. He was getting all the targets. He was the one making all the plays, and Ayuk was a secondary dude. Then when he became the number one, like he was a, a, a run after the catch threat. The guy's got incredible speed. He wins in a much more translatable manner, I think, than Nikhil Harry did. But it would just be kind of interesting putting them back in the same offense again a year later. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think KJ Hamler would be pretty fascinating because, again, speed, right? A better version of Philip Dorsett, a guy with, with quicks and route running. You know, hands are a little bit unideal, but still. Like potentially available way lower down than some of these other guys, but brings that explosiveness, the the thing that you don't have to this offense, which is guys that can run away from people and get the hell open. Yeah, so I, I like your uh, I like your plan here. Now, the tricky part from a team building standpoint is you can't put all of your <coughs> actual money and draft capital into just your playmakers. You know, the defense can, you know, they need to, you know, bring playmakers back there. They're losing, you know, Joe Tooney's a free agent at left guard. They have to figure stuff out on the offensive line. So the Patriots have put themselves into a tough spot. And I think that's the consistent theme around the NFL. When you have a weakness that is a multi-year weakness, we've talked about this before, the Chargers offensive line and a few other players, the the Falcons offensive line, um, Falcons pass rush. I mean, there's certain position groups that you feel like you're, just, you know, trying to fill every single year. Yeah. And that puts you in a tough spot. I mean, it's not are ideal. UK, are they taking PTO today? Are they off? I don't know. That, that's bowling, right? Yes, but look at the number. Why are they bowling? A 75? Harley's never bowled before. Like, are you even looking at the lane to bowl a 75? Ian's a pro. It's pretty good. A 148's not that good, but... No. Um, Ian wins. Yeah. So... Right. Yeah, they're in a they're in a tough spot. Look, this is not the ideal way. Like throwing a colossal amount of resource at one position in one offseason is never an ideal strategy. It's an indication that you've left things get into an ugly state and you need to fix it quickly. Plus, it's only more acute because now you have a quarterback who is probably going to leave if you don't, or at least give him, you know, pretty firm indications you're going to do that. Right. And you don't have a you don't have a succession plan at that position either. So they're like they're in this double like compounded position of we need to fix receiver one because we don't have any receivers and two because the quarterback's going to leave if we don't. So like everything needs to go with this. I yeah, in an ideal scenario, that I mean that's going to have knock-on effects of making other things worse. But the net result of that is going to be less of a problem if you fix receiver. Like you're way better off fixing receiver, knowing that it's going to have a detrimental effect somewhere else than you are not fixing receiver and just being screwed. If you believe passing league, you've 
the Patriots have won all those games because they've got this baseline of success with their passing attack. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then the years that they've put it together, the defense has done a nice job and come together, and, it, and that's how you win. I do think, you know, the more we study this stuff, I think the, you know, first off, having, having an elite quarterback immediately makes your passing attack, you know, rank in the top 10 or near the top of the league. Having good playmakers brings that even higher. And then having that passing attack gives you that baseline of winning a ton of games, unless you're really, really bad elsewhere. And then when it pairs with other parts of your roster being good, okay, now you're a championship caliber team. But it all starts with pass the ball, stop the pass, and they weren't passing the ball very well last year. So if they do look at this as a major weakness, then I mean, trade, how, how could you draft, free agency, they have to go all in on those. Yeah. Components. How could you not look at this as a major weakness? I mean, the absolute ceiling of 2020 in the passing game is bringing Brady back and getting exactly what you got out of him this year, probably minus 5% because he's 43 years old. He's not getting better next year. He's probably, you know, slowly declining. And you're very careful with that. Now. Yeah. And uh, like, if you don't give him better receiving weapons, you're not getting better. So you have to. I mean, it's, it's that simple. All right. Do you, I mean, the only, the only, um, X factor and all that is Nikhil Harry, right? He's the guy with the first round talent, apparently, on the roster. Dude played, what, like 270 snaps last year? Basically, injury robbed him of his entire rookie year. When he did get on the field, he couldn't separate to save his life. Um, but, like, who knows what year two Harry looks like? Maybe yeah, this could, is a guy yeah, could he that be? needed a year in the NFL system, A, healthy, gets himself, you know, all I'm saying is we don't know what Harry will look like next year. Maybe he'll look his, better. I think his best case scenario, if you're a Patriots fan, would be someone like Marvin Jones, who you know, was a, he could separate a little bit more than, than Harry, but Marvin Jones or Demarius Thomas are the two guys we keep comping to, right? Where Marvin Jones wins a lot in contested situations. It is kind of his calling card, mm-hmm. having those ball skills. Demarius Thomas was the guy that would, you could, he essentially ran slants. He ran go balls and back shoulders off of it and he ran and he did well after the catch. Yeah. If you you could maybe get that type of production if Harry improves in some areas. I mean he's still not that explosive off the line but maybe it was the injury stuff. But that's that's a lot of hoping for that rather than you know building building the other pieces around him. Yeah. So I mean I have much more confidence in his ability or the Patriots ability to turn him into something if they're not relying on him being a number one to make it happen. Right. Like if your plan in 2020 is Nikhil Harry suddenly looks like a first round player and everything's okay, because that's the thing that has a knock on effect. I think you're boned. If your plan is we can turn Nikhil Harry into a pretty good receiver because Stefan Diggs is now in the building and Julian Edelman is back to being a secondary option that doesn't have all the attention focused on him. And we've got James white and we'll draft a tight end and Nikhil Harry can suddenly be like an additional weapon you know, moving around the place. Now I think you, you've got something to work with, but I, if you're relying on him being the thing that catalyzes all these other improvements, I, I think you're, you've got problems. Yeah, that's risky. All right, man, go check out PFF.com. Sam wrote the full breakdown, what the Patriots can do to address their wide receiver slash tight end dilemma mm-hmm. this off season. Want to get in some more uh, free agency talk? Sure. What are we doing? Buyer beware. Ooh, Okay, and I think our list will give some of this away. I think the easiest way to break this down is to look at our free agent list versus other free agent lists. And I think let's start with edge defender because I think this is almost all of them. 
Next. Oh, sorry. You wanted a longer segment than that. Yeah. So I don't know if you've done this before, but I'm, I'm setting the groundwork. I'm kind of setting the table for what we're going to talk about. Oh, okay. Okay. Given some backstory, given some context, Mm -hmm. then we're going to have a high level discussion using our football smarts that everybody tunes in for. Right. Okay. And we're going to go back and forth and explain our position on this. Uh Why do we think these guys, you know, are caveat emptor, buyer beware type of players? Hmm. Like my Latin. Sure. I didn't catch it. What was caveat emptor? Emptor. Yes. I see. Yeah. That means buyer beware. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, I learned like six things in high school. That was one of them. Huh. I had. Ironically, I yeah. actually did Latin for two years in school. And I, I mean, I, I, I knew the first part, not the second part. You know, everybody's got that uh, one. High, who was that one high school teacher that taught you some valuable stuff? We had this one guy who taught classes about like life skill type of stuff. You know, what, what happened? Life skill, you, Latin was your life skill. No, but more like, um, like using a credit card, the, the risks of using a credit card and what happens <laughs> You know, what if you have to... How did that talk go? Uh, don't use one, <laughs> basically. Here's how much interest you're going to pay right. and how stupid it is. Um, but he kept saying, caveat emptor. That was his way of buyer beware. I forget what we were talking about specifically, but he kept saying buyer right. beware in Latin. And I was like, hey, I'm using that. So I went to a pretty uh, posh, I guess would be the word. Oh, Independent school in England. Son of right? two doctors. And uh, they did Latin. Like that was one of the subjects you got taught. So like the first few years that you had, you did like all these topics and you had no choice in the matter. Right. Yep. Then after like year four or whatever it was, you got to dump some stuff. Um, so I did two years of Latin the first year at the end of year exam, I got 42%. The second year I got 27% <laughs> out of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I knew I wasn't going on. Like, so I wasn't doing anything. Like, I knew next year I was dumping the subject, so why bother learning any of it? What an embarrassment. Yeah, well, look, it was, it was deliberate. I'm, I don't need to know any of this. How it's did Latin. you make it this far here with PFF? It didn't help that, that we were, our, our class was, was not great in terms of, like, behavior. So we made the Latin teacher cry at one point. In fact, I think we actually made him retire. I'm not mm. proud of it, but he basically broke down in the middle of the le- lesson, threatened to punch out two of the boys in the class, said something kind of weird to a couple of the girls that doesn't feel like like podcast appropriate material hmm. and then apparently after that lesson broke down crying in the staff room i, I think he quit pretty soon after that because you had a 27 not because i had a 27 i'm just saying this was the class i was a part of oh, it was it. not a not a solid behavioral environment in terms of learning latin i'm just saying that over the course well, of two that years, explains why combined, i had like 65 percent. that explains why you didn't catch my latin yeah that's what i'm there. saying yeah that makes sense yeah it's all adding up now i was better at other subjects if that helps no it doesn't because how good are you at buyer beware free agents well let's find out the edge defender class yeah which you already you already gave it away all of them yeah the reason why they're potentially overrated a bunch of them had a bunch of sacks mm. they had there's there's some one-year wonder type of guys there's guys that were products of the scheme and because the further we research this whole thing the pass rush is not always the catalyst of defensive success it's more the complementary piece to what's hap- happening with the coverage unit i think we're finding maybe you don't want to completely overpay for certain pass rushers yeah. so let's start with the edge defenders buyer beware on whom sam so can I just a uh, slight segue, but it's relevant to this, right? Yes. I, so I've been 
pretty much steadily pissing off the entire state of New York over the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, I think I've muted basically everybody in Buffalo at this point. Um, You're weak, man. Yeah. Weak. But, Running away from confrontation. So, and everything we, we post now is like confirmation that PFF hates the Giants and or Bills. So somebody posted that we'd, we'd written some preview piece that was saying essentially the Giants don't have anybody of consequence hitting free agency. They're like, what kind of idiots are you? Marcus Golden is leaving and he's been the first Giant since I don't know who the hell it was to have double digit sacks in the season. Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. How can you say that he is not an important piece of this defense? Lawrence Taylor. Wait, Strahan played there. Right. There's no way that was right. So that's what he was saying. Maybe you, maybe you don't listen to an idiot. Yes. But whatever. His point is double digit sacks. was there a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. Olivier Vernon, JPP. Strahan, there's no way one of those three people didn't have double-digit sacks. Anyway, um, double-digit sacks, therefore, he's an excellent pass rusher. To what do you say, Steve? I say he had 509 pass rushes. Sacks are overrated, and sacks do not predict future sacks. Well, and to be fair, even like he had 64 pressures, which is a decent number as well, but 509 pass rushes. If, if sacks were simply presented... As a percentage of rushes. Yes. Yeah, and you sorted the league. It just said sack percentage. Yeah. That would completely change the narrative on those players. Forget pressures. Forget PFF pass rush grade. Both both numbers which have already been proven to better predict future pass rush performance. Take that out of the equation. If you just did sack percentage. Yes. Around the league. And this guy has 12 on 509 rushes. And then another guy has 12 on 350 rushes. Immediately, you would go from saying twelve and twelve are the same, and you'd have a you'd have different context. As would, here's the other thing. Here's some more context for you: sixty four total pressures, eighteen of them were unblocked, uh, and fourteen of them were cleanup pressures. That's thirty two out of all those. Yeah, so half of his pressure was either cleanup or unblocked, which wow. is why his grade sucks. So again, it's like pass rush how grade. come your grade doesn't match up with the numbers, nerds? It's like well. This is why, because you're not looking far enough. Now, to be fair, you don't have access to this, so you don't know that this is the added layer of context, but this is why, right? So the grade is you, not a meaningless abstract number that's us subjectively at like, it. I is think you're talking to the wrong Objective people, statistics. It's not. There's a lot of people out there. We have millions and millions of listeners, all of which, all of whom, all of who, all of them are smarter than this. And you, apparently. They're all smarter than this. <laughs> they all have PFF Elite. Here's the thing. They all have PSV2. They all understand the context. I was first attracted to PFF because of this. You right? were first attracted to PFF because we made you pay for the data. I wanted the data for free, yes. Yeah. But before that, I initially said, wow, you said something that was not exactly what I thought it was because you're viewing the game in a different way. Now, I will admit, I did probably send some some hate messages and yeah. emails and stuff like that like you idiots how to actually remember it send it something to neil back in the day there was a game 2009 two jaguars cornerbacks had completely different stats and one like one guy gave up three touchdowns and had a better grade than the other guy i think it was rasheen mathis and Derek cox mm-hmm. it didn't make sense to me with the stats but when i first, when i started to understand the system and that the stats don't always tell the story and blah 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 and all that stuff it made sense I mean, pass pass rush is, is probably the easiest one where we've put a dent because the grades are so consistent. And then when you look back at sacks and projecting sacks, like it's so inconsistent, like 
I think we've nailed that I one. I think there's a big part of the world changing right now in terms of fake news and everything is crap and blah, blah. I, I, all I would ask for people is if and when a situation arises where the grade looks strange, right? It looks weird, doesn't match the numbers. It looks counterintuitive to what you're looking at. Simply ask why that could be. Don't assume, well, it's obviously because they have a subjective bias system and they don't know what they're doing, right? We have 32 NFL team customers. We have never once sat down in a room, gone through tape with somebody for, in the NFL and had them come out of the other side going, you guys don't have any idea what you're doing. Like, it's always been, yep. yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I can see, like, they get convinced of why the grade suddenly makes a lot of sense. So when a grade doesn't match what you think it should look like, ask why. And with Marcus Golden, it's a simple answer. Guy did have double-digit sacks. The guy had 64 pressures. That's a lot. On the other hand, he had a ton of pass-rushing opportunities, 509, and half of his pressure was either unblocked or cleanup, which means he wasn't doing an awful lot to get those pressures. So that explains that one. And I think you would find the answer is similar for pretty much every scenario where that unfolds. Now, edge rushers. Wow. Yeah, so I think they're all they're all going to be overvalued again because they they do make some of the highest money in the NFL in general. But you could start probably with Jadavian Clowney and say, look, if he's going to have wants to reset the marketplace, if you're going to reset the marketplace, I just don't want to reset it. I'm not going to reset it for Jadavian. He's a good, not great player, a guy who is ranked, you know, he's ranked in the top 10 in PFF war over the last couple of years with with his strong run defense and all that stuff. Last year, number 18 in war, number 20 from a pure grading standpoint. So he has a lot of value, but not reset the market type of value. I would start with Clowney. There are more egregious players. Again, we've talked about Shaq Barry quite a bit. If you're just looking at the sacks and saying, look, this dude had 20 sacks, buyer beware on that for sure. Yeah, I mean, Clowney is a good player. He's turned into one of the best run defenders uh, at, at the edge position in the NFL. He has never turned into the phenomenal pass rusher that people thought he would be. He reminds me of peak JPP. I've mentioned this one before. JPP at his best yeah, was right. a top three run defender on the edge. Same concept as well. Like phenomenal yeah. athlete coming out. He'll develop into this incredible pass rusher. Never happened. Was good, not great yeah. as a pass rusher the entire, at, at his peak. He reminds me of peak JPP. Shaq Barrett, again, is different. You know, he went from... I'm so bummed, by the way, that JPP's nickname never... never sort of took off i remember watching it was it usf he was from yes i remember watching a college game of his and it was him who was the edge rusher opposite him george selvey yes so there's the two of them on the same team right and the commentator was losing his mind because jpp's nickname at the time allegedly was the haitian sensation that should have translated that should have come through that's better than jpp hell yes the Haitian sensation. Maybe he would have had more sacks. That's what I'm saying. If that had been his nickname all the way through the NFL, the dude would be a, a he'd be the best pass rusher in the NFL. Hard to disagree. That's what I'm saying. Um, that was a good example of, I mean, George Selvey had like 20 sacks one year yeah. and JPP had three because he was, you know, a young player with crazy upside. He could do backflips mm. if you didn't know. Um, JPP also, uh, our guy Eric had a great question a couple of days ago. What was the best non-need draft pick over the last you know, X amount of years or in NFL history, which, you know, is one of my favorite draft axioms, right? Don't draft your needs, you know, just draft the best players overall. Now the most valuable players. 
Um, That's a whole six T-shirts we got to change. We, yeah, we got a lot of things. But you have you have the Vikings taking Randy Moss when they were already set. At the wide receiver position. Yeah, I couldn't be bothered to think beyond that. I just was like, okay, that's the answer at the end. Well, the one I always think of is JPP because they had Michael Strahan. Um, they had they had OC, Umanyara. Oh, when who's And they drafted JPP. When was Kiwanuka drafted? And then they, they added him to the mix later. After? Okay. Yeah. But they did the same thing. So, like, Strahan moved on. They added Kiwanuka to the mix. They just kept saying, look, we got to go. We got to roll three deep at edge to rusher. So, I thought JPP was one of the better non-need draft picks because the Giants had two loaded defensive ends and then added well they had Kiwanuka ahead of time and then they added JPP to the mix yeah that's what it was that's what I thought yeah I went out of order but yeah. they added they added him to a loaded group of edge defenders is what yeah. I, the point I was trying to make um so Shaq Barrett we've talked about him before I, he yeah. went from, I mean I was thinking when he was asking that question that pretty much every scenario where that's happened it's been good like the idea of when you yeah. when you're stacked at one position and you load another one it's almost always beneficial right I mean like the Lions didn't take Aaron Donald because they had Sue and Fairley at the time, yeah. I believe. Right. By the way, both both of whom were in the, like the last year of their contract. Yeah. So there's there's as we get closer to draft season, there are two types of team needs. There are the ones that the fans you interact with on Twitter and block. Right. Mute more than block that you mute. I block some. Those fans are the short sighted ones who said the last thing I saw was my team did this badly. Therefore, that's what we need. Right. Like the Titans fan, like bad Titans fans are probably like, we need a quarterback because Tannehill's terrible. Right. And I mean, they might be right. But I mean, the most recent thing or giant 49ers fans. We need We need a quarterback because we can't win with Garoppolo. Right. The last thing you saw. Um, and then other fans who have, you know, a team that needs are multi-year needs. Teams that are smart, you know, they, they draft a year in advance for their needs. When guys are in their last year of their contract, they're ready to replenish them. That's what. Uh, the Lions could have done with Aaron Donald a few years ago, but they didn't. They stuck with Sue and Fairley and then um, eventually lost both of them. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's like a team. I couldn't think of this one as I was sort of mulling over the question in my brain, but I'm sure some team has done that with cornerbacks as well, where they like had a stacked secondary and they added another top end corner and it's been really good for them. Yeah, we should look. We should look that up and see. But that always works well. Yeah. All right. So Clowney, good, not great. Shaq I wouldn't Barrett. want to reset the market with him. Shaq Barrett had a ton of sacks. Barrett is the, again, his is a whole bunch of cleanup and unblocked plays, right? Um, he had a lot of good plays, too. He had a lot of force fumbles right. and all that so stuff. This the is point the is, though, it's still tough to duplicate. His grade is effectively the same as it was when we were championing him as an underrated player. And everyone, you know, and he, was, he wasn't even starting, right? He was like a rotational body in Denver. He wasn't getting that much playing time. And his grade is exactly the same when he now he's an every-down starter. And he was chasing 20 plus sacks so everyone's like oh that dude's a stud it's like he isn't really he just this the thing about sacks is i don't want to say they're lucky because they no, they're might, not well they might be or they might not be it depends right. right they're not the same thing for a start a sack could be an amazing it just play. can't be the number yes that a, a sack one number a sack is not a uniform statistic right a sack can be a great play where you beat a guy you beat two guys you split a double team you dominate in two seconds you take the quarterback down amazing they're always good results for a defense but in terms of the quality of the actual defensive play they vary from that end to you happen to be standing there being dominated at the line of scrimmage when somebody else forced the quarterback past you and you just reached out an arm and grabbed him so in the um our free agent rankings pages which by the way our our guys i think did a fantastic job of making this look good the way we've we've got um did you see the three different views that we have 
There's yeah, three different I, views. I thought it was two. There's three. PFF.com slash NFL slash free agency. Free dash agency. Anyway, there's the slim view, which is just a list of players. Mm-hmm. There's normal view. Yeah. Okay. Then, then, then there's thick view. Spelled. T-H-I-C-C. Uh-huh. Millennial thick, I as I like to call it. Millennial thick. So that's like the more in-depth profile. And if you go to Shaq Barrett and his thick view, you'll see a breakdown of the players with the most pressures and their win percentage and all that stuff. So his win percentage, so this is just the number of times that he beat a blocker, um, most often in one-on-one situations, but beat a blocker, right? Picked up a hurry or some sort of beaten block, 17.3%, and he had 20 sacks off of that. Calais Campbell actually had a higher win percentage, 17.9%, but only six sacks. So a 14-sack difference, even though Campbell won more often. If you gave those guys the same exact win percentage, Next year, Campbell could have 12 sacks and Barrett could have five. I mean, it could go any which way. So the point is that 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 is not an indication of finishing skill. Mostly, right? There are a couple of players who consistently lay off Brandon Graham. Uh, no, no, I'm not I'm going the other way. Oh, saying there are a couple of players. I'm positive, Steve. I am an optimistic, positive outlook kind of human. You don't have to bring it negative every time. Sorry. There are a couple of players who have consistently throughout their career generated better than average finishing rates if you like the percentage of pressure that they are they capable of turning into sacks um almost most players don't right so when you get that kind of differential where the guy with a ton uh, the guy who wins more often gets far fewer sacks or the guy who wins less often has more sacks it's not because he's a better finisher and therefore is more valuable it's that he got kind of lucky that year he had a ton of unblocked and or clean up sacks or he just got lucky like the when so one of the things we do is you know you, you can't judge a, an offensive lineman by the number of sacks given up right because once definitely that, not because once that guy is beaten whether it's a pressure uh, a hit a sack or even nothing at all is entirely down to somebody else right it's basically whether the ball comes out or not so so pass rusher beats offensive lineman at the line of scrimmage you now have an indeterminate you have the amount of time it takes you to run from that point to the quarterback is the amount of time the ball has to come out. And that basically dictates whether it's nothing at all. Quarterback didn't even know it was coming, gets the ball out. You didn't touch him. It's, it's literally nothing. All you did is win at the line. No pressure on the play. It's a hurry. Quarterback sees it coming, gets rid of the ball. It's a hit. Quarterback sees it coming, gets rid of the ball, but you nail him or you sack him. He may see it coming. You drill him before the ball comes out. It's a sack, right? All of those things are completely down to the quarterback in the passing game not your ability to do anything. Right. So this, the same thing is true with, with pass rush. Once you win, whether it becomes a sack hit hurry or nothing is basically not within your control. It's also the act of winning is far more difficult than the act of finishing. And just therefore from a translatable standpoint. and repeatable right. and predictive. Like if you're, if you can only win quickly, say within 2.5 seconds, say 12% of your snaps, that's difficult to do. Now, once you win and 30 of those, 30% or 40% of those turn into sacks. Okay. Which, which is more difficult, mm-hmm. right? So it's hard to win quickly. Anyway, all that said, Shaq Barrett was very good last season. He's yeah. a very good player. He's still young. He went from an underused overperforming player to now a guy who's slightly overrated. If you're just looking at sacks, I'm just not going to break the bank for him. He shouldn't have reset the market type of money either just because he had 20 sacks. However, Performance-wise, pressure-wise, win percentage-wise, he was 
comparable to some very good players last year. Cameron Jordan, Danell Hunter, uh, not Aaron Donald, but Nick Bosa, Chandler Jones, Calais Campbell, who we mentioned. He is in that ballpark, but I would just be careful if you think he's going to put up 20 sacks again if you're just looking at that number. Yeah, he is a solid pass rusher. It would probably be a mistake to think he's much better than that. Yannick Ngakwe, another guy, probably two years Two years removed from his best grade. He was an 81 grade in 2017. That had him ranked number 18 among edge defenders since that point. Just from a grade standpoint, he's ranked 29th and 36th. So we're talking about a guy who can be an edge one, so to speak, for a team. The top edge defender for a team, but at the lower tier of the top edge defenders that are, you know, number one edges. So, again, if you're expecting a guy that's going to be an annual 15 sack guy, um, just because he had 14 one year in 2017, that's a little risky. And then the more obvious ones for us, Robert Quinn, uh, Bud Dupree. Bud. Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree, most certainly, just because we're talking about a guy who in 2017 was our number 100 ranked edge defender. He was better than crappy one year in his career so far. <sighs> that's a better way of putting it. Thank you. So in his career year last year, so he was the number 174th most valuable edge in 2017. Most valuable edge. <laughs> according to Thick View over here. I think you got to be, I think you need elite. How many edges do you think even played that year? If you guys have PFF elite, not only do you get premium stats 2.0, but you got to go check out the Thick View on free agency because you get war for these yes. free agents. Our wins above replacement number. It's the first time we've ever released it. That's probably worth the price of admission as it is. I'm, um, I'm now fascinated as to how many edges even played in a season. I want to know if that's be, a typo. No, I think it probably is right, but it's got to be like basically at the bottom end of the list, right? So he was 174, then up to 73 in 2018, then up to 17. He'll be number one by next year. Sure. That's how that works. So 17th most valuable edge last year. Really good season. The problem with Bud is literally the only year that he was... You know, better than average. Yeah. As an edge defender. And Robert Quinn, another guy, how many sacks did he have? Because people, I don't know. I don't even, this is the thing. I don't even look at sack totals anymore unless I'm trying to tell the story about why they're overrated. (laughs) That's like, or underrated. Because I just look at the grade and I like, he was our number 47, Robert Quinn here, number 47 edge defender. Previous year, he was number 42. So very consistent there. And, You know, only 647 snaps. That hurts his value just a little bit when you're just stacking him up from a war standpoint. That's not like break the bank. I was on uh, NFL now last weekend or not last weekend, last Friday. Nice humble brag. Thank you. And uh, leading me in was a little segment with Charlie Casterly. Oh, yeah. Charlie thinks that they should get Robert Quinn signed up well before they sign Byron Jones. That's the guy you got to get locked down. Really? Yeah. No, I know. No, Yeah. no. Byron Jones. Yeah. They did at least say after Dak and Amari, so we didn't have to like go that crazy. We have Quinn at number 53 on our free free agency list. The other one that people are going to talk about is Matthew Judon from Baltimore. And we've covered this on the show before. Well, he basically has the exact same story as Marcus Golden, right? Yeah. A lot of sacks, double digit. A lot of pressure, 62, two fewer than Golden, but... 20 unblocked and 15 cleanup. So even more. More than half. Yes are the ones that are dependent on other situations. Yes, even Very more dependent. of his pressure was either unblocked or clean up compared with Golden. Now, his grade was better, which means when he was winning, he was winning more decisively and quicker, but 
then you have to factor in what the Baltimore Ravens offense was doing in terms defense, of scheming. Yeah. Sorry, defense. Yeah. In terms of scheming, blitzing more than anybody else, getting him in favorable situations more, certainly more than Marcus Golden was in New York, and therefore benefiting his overall performance. Now, we've said it before, his grade in one-on-one situations, not good. And when he goes somewhere else that isn't the most blitz-happy defense in the NFL, he's going to be one-on-one a lot and have to actually win. Yeah, I mean, just look... This is all of all of our analysis is based off of a lot of research, like long term research. And then you can use like one off examples just to kind of make your point. The one off example is never the point. It's just a product of it. So the New England Patriots for years have essentially valued coverage over pass rush. Right. Mm-hmm. They've said, look, we're, we're going to cover well on the back end and we're not completely interchangeable up front, but we're going to let Richard Seymour walk. We're going to let Chandler Jones go trade him. We're going to let Trey Flowers go. I mean, they just let a lot of these guys go up front and they don't, you know, they don't really miss a beat defensively. I think the Ravens are getting to that territory where they've they're built similarly. They're two years. They let Zadarius Smith walk. Zadarius goes and has one of the best pass rushing seasons in the NFL and the Ravens defense got better. Yeah. The same year they let Terrell Suggs walk and CJ Mosley, who's an inside linebacker, not a pass rusher, but they let their two top pass rushers go. They replaced him with Matthew Judon, who was their number three rusher. He becomes their number one. They scheme up all this pressure from him, which is based off the way the secondary works and the way the coverage works. So they're not going to they're not going to go spend money for Matthew Judon. They're going to continue to believe that those edge guys in our system are interchangeable. Now, so this is I mean, system matters and all that stuff. So if you're the Ravens, you're going to say, OK, we can make a Matthew Judon. Do you, know, you want a baseball analogy? No. Of that? No. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, you I might make this part of my pitch here. I I have to write this down for my pitch. (laughs) Are you muting me? I wish I could. My pitch. We're going to make edge defenders like closers in baseball. Okay. And I just spelled it in uh, UK style by accident. It didn't, it didn't uh, correct me. UK style. R E instead of E R, right? It doesn't, how you do. Do what? E R. Anyway, listen. It's what? What happened in, in early money ball in baseball? The clo- you know what the closer is? Yeah, sure. I'm going to give you a smart way, a smart team building strategy that teams like the Ravens can incorporate here. Uh-huh. So a closer in baseball gets the last three outs. He gets a save. Yeah. You would hate saves in baseball. You would hate it the way you hate sacks. Because yeah. it's like, it's just the guy who gets the last three outs instead of, you know, outs four, five, and six out of the the last four, fourth, fifth, or sixth out of the game. Right. So they get a save and, you know, a 30 save guy is like a 10 sack guy. Oh, you had 30 saves and those guys get paid. They're closers, even though the guys pitching the eighth inning or the seventh inning could be better than them, whatever. So the Oakland A's got smart and they said, we can make anybody a closer, right? If you let him pitch the last three innings and he's good, he'll have 30 saves, 35 saves, 40 saves, whatever. And then you let them walk and you get all this, these compensatory picks and all that fun stuff. I think in the NFL, teams like the Ravens might be able to do that with edge defenders where they can almost say, look, we're going to build from back to forward. We're going to let these edge defenders rack up sacks and pressures walk in free agency. And then after they sign big contracts, continue to accumulate the compensatory picks that come from them. That could be one of the new market inefficiencies that smart teams use because edge defenders always get paid. Now it might not even be new teams could be doing this for a while, but that's one of those ways I think would be would be smart. Okay. 
Can I give you another potential uh, buyer beware guy at yes. Edge? Eric Armstead. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Actually played better than basically almost anybody else we've mentioned on the list, but contract year. Right. Huge outlier compared to what he's done in the past. I would be pretty concerned about banking on that happening again, as I would be basically with any huge contract year outlier guy heading into free agency. Yeah. Sometimes you have to bite the bullet and just roll with it and hope he does it again. But I, it's always something that would concern the hell out of me. So I would say this form, I want to describe this form of buyer beware for us is I think there's going to be a lot of money thrown at these guys. And even if they all play like Khalil Mack, it's going to be tough to justify the dollar value for their performance. A different type of buyer beware would be say like the wide receiver list. Right. I think the receivers are probably worth investing in more just because if they hit like if Amari Cooper hits and you get number one wide receiver production, it's a game changer for an offense. It's a game changer for your team. I mean, I think you're instantly turning your offense around if you know you're getting number one production out of Amari Cooper or getting that out of A.J. Green. The buyer beware component is the injury, you know, the injuries to A.J. Green. I think Robbie Anderson can be an awesome deep threat for a lot of teams but maybe not a high volume or as, as high volume of a type of guy. I think, I think the buyer beware component is viewed in different ways. Um, I just don't know if you're ever going to get your dollar amount back from some of these edge defenders that you'd be paying for. I think that's fair. Any other positions or, or players that kind of stand out oh, in that regard? We have to talk about the running backs, aren't we? I mean, running backs are always like this, right? Uh, well, all right. Buyer beware on all running backs. Yes. And it is obvious that the most clear example of this is Derrick Henry this year. How can you guys not have Derrick Henry in the top five of your free agent list? He's the best running back in the NFL. You just carried the Titans deep into the playoffs. Ryan Tannehill. He's the most valuable player. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, no. You know that's not true. Derrick Henry, A, was not the reason the Titans got that far. B, is not going to repeat it, even if he stays in Tennessee. And see if he goes somewhere else that has a less beneficial environment around him, definitely won't repeat it. Every single team that has invested big money in a running back in the last several years already regrets the decision. Yeah. The last team that didn't, the last team that actually stuck to their guns, maybe it was just because they're cheap, or maybe it's because they actually understood how this works, was the Chargers not caving to Melvin Gordon's holdout. Melvin Gordon comes back doesn't have the same kind of season and now he's hitting free agency with an empty tin cup looking for coins as opposed to cashing in his monster deal now sucks to be melvin gordon like he tried to cash in when his stock was high but the chargers didn't buy into it and now the dude is like half the value he was a season ago the point is do not invest in running backs because they're not worth it they're not and it's sad. Running back is fun to watch. It's a great position. Yeah, I those love watching take, Henry play. Those dudes take more punishment than basically anybody else in the NFL, but you are not ever worth paying money to anymore. It's just not, it's just not the way the league works anymore. Don't pay him. Don't pay him in the first. Don't let uh, him walk after his rookie contract. Get a draft another one. Don't draft him in the first round. Don't pay him. I mean, we're just, let's not hammer it home any further. They're fun to watch. I love watching Henry run. He's, uh, he's entertaining. I'm not going to build my team around him. Now, I think what would be fascinating is if you put him in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I wonder. So let's let's think outside the box here. Because yeah. Baltimore just brought in Mark Ingram. Yeah. Who is a big, 
bad, but not nearly as big as Derrick Henry, based off that picture. Well, yeah. He is a bad, mean runner. Averaged five yards per carry last year. And the head of steam that Baltimore's scheme slash offensive line gives a running back is tough to tackle. Yeah. That, that makes Ingram a really good fit there. Could a high-volume team like Baltimore, who we just keep... We keep pounding the table for how smart they are, Sam, right? They're doing all the things right, moving all the, pushing all the right buttons. What if Derrick Henry goes to a team like the Ravens and he's got three yards before contact, four yards before contact, and he's now full head of steam at linebackers and safeties. Could that be the place where he is actually worth the money because he's going to average six yards a carry because of Lamar Jackson? Uh, in no, the scheme, in the offensive line? He'd be really good in that scenario. He'd probably lead the league in rushing. He'd look fantastic. But you would have to break the bank in order to make it happen, and you can get 80%, 85%, 90% of that production from a dude you draft in the third round who's paid a, a, a fraction, a tiny percentage cut of Derrick Henry's contract. So it doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. Okay, just checking. <laughs> So buyer beware on all for all free agent running backs. Or you could no wait a year happening. until somebody else pays Derrick Henry the huge money, regrets it, gets rid of him, and then you can get him for half that. You also have to believe the workload has to catch up to him at some point. It's not just the NFL workload. High college. School, college, yeah. High school. I mean, he has been well, so toting the rock for quite a while here. His, yeah, his college one is interesting because total, it's not actually that big. It's just that like... It was nine, that one year. Right, it's just like 9,000 carries came in one season. With that one year, they really crushed him. Yeah. But like overall, he didn't have the biggest college workload. Right. Uh, You mentioned all. I'm going to give you a tight end here. Austin Hooper. Yeah. Um, The number that I pulled out here. So so I went. I was responsible. I like your number because it backs up 100% what I thought all along. Yeah. And and it's one of those where FF works. The PFF grade itself was really good. 78.3. And it was number eight among tight ends last year. And I had to go back and say, wait a second. I need to know how much of Austin Hooper's production was him winning one-on-one because the more we talk like the best tight ends, the Travis Kelsey's, the Gronks, the George Kittles, those are the guys you're like, I could put him anywhere on the field. I know he's going to win one-on-one linebackers. can't cover him. Safety's corner. Like, nobody can cover him. So I went back and I looked at where did Austin Hooper get this production from? And it turns out 75.5% of his receiving production, three quarters of his receiving came on targets that we called either a hole in the zone or something underneath the defense. So he's either finding soft spots in the zone, cool, or catching a drag route or a flat route or something and creating yards after the catch or whatever it might have been. That is by far the highest percentage in the league. Three quarters of his production. Then I said, okay, how did he do against single coverage? Because we track this stuff. He has a 58.9 receiving grade. There you go. Well below the league average against single coverage since 2016. Yeah. So this is a multi-year sample. So I have a huge, even buyer beware. So even with the PFF grade saying he was good last year, previous year said he was just okay anyway. But last year it says he was really good. And I think this is a really good example of, you know, you guys lie at PFF. Your grade lies. And we say, yeah, you know, sometimes the grade is inflated or the stats are inflated. Something's inflated because of other things. And this would be one example of Austin Hooper getting some scheme help, getting some Julio Jones slash Calvin Ridley around the field help, you know, and just not necessarily the mismatch weapon 
you want to spend a lot of money for a tight end. The uh, Yeah, I think Mike Renner was the one who said that you will never convince him that Austin Hooper is anything other than a replacement level tight end, which basically backs up 100% what I've always thought about him dating back to his Stanford days. Yeah. Same idea. And look, there's a skill set to finding soft spots and zones and, you know, exploiting that kind of stuff. Right. I'm not trying to diminish that. It's just a way easier one to replicate than right. a skill set of actually getting open against people to trying to cover you. Right. Like you can effectively you can manufacture production out of anyone that's smart enough to understand the defense with the first way of doing things. Right. Like Miles Austin, it's the Thomas Jones. Right. It's it's that thing of he will get exactly what's given and no more. And that is the sort of Thomas Jones of receiving is just understanding where you're supposed to be given the defense you're looking at. Right. And therefore you will get this target because that's what's open. And like, so if you're the Falcons, you should look at this and say, okay, we could put maybe not anybody out there, but we could put the yeah. next you know, similar like, tight end out there and get some production. So we're not going to pay him. The guy if that, you're another team, you have to just be careful. The guy that always leaps to mind with this in terms of being the sort of receiver Thomas Jones is Miles Austin. You remember, there was a couple of seasons where Austin was really good. I thought, was real, I thought he looked he was. good, though. So there's a couple of seasons where he was really, really good. But then the last couple of seasons of his career, it was like Miles Austin is getting you 100% what is there yeah. in terms of zone scheme and nothing else. Right. Like he is getting only what he is available to sort of sit in the gap of. He's not getting open to save his life if someone is actually covering him in man coverage. Well, that was like Chris Hogan in, in New England as well. So, yeah, same idea. Hogan had a big year where he kind of like, had some busted coverages that he ran behind and Brady and him had a good rapport. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, that's not going to happen anywhere else. Right. And it hasn't or didn't. So that's our buyer beware section for free agency. I mean, buyer beware in general, free agency. Just be careful. Get that second wave. Don't, don't spend too much money. No. In free agency. Let's wrap up the pod. I broke down uh, Joe Burrow. Oh, good. Do you have any Joe Burrow thoughts in general? No. From what you've seen from talk to me. So I went in depth on Joe Burrow's game. You know, we went in, we went, we went in trying to ask the question, is Joe Burrow the best prospect we've seen at quarterback since 2014? And the data occupied by Baker, right? What's that? Currently occupied by Baker. Currently occupied by Baker Mayfield. And the data says that individual seasons, the best season we've seen. I mean, whether you look at PFF grade, you take PFF grade and you say, look, in the SEC, it's a lot more difficult to do this than, say, the Big 12, where Baker and Kyler tore it up and Mahomes tore it up. Yes, that's true. Wins above average, which is our college war equivalent, borrows in a whole different stratosphere. But the 2018 season where he was good, not great, still, it's still a thing. Like That's still a part of the body of work. So I think we came to the conclusion, Baker's still the best prospect that we've graded because he had three elite seasons, 390 plus years, and was really, really consistent in college. Still has a chance to salvage that uh, backslide last year and uh, see what happens. See if he gets together off the field. Um, But the point with Burrow, there's still that question mark. He got an NFL caliber coach and Joe Brady. We don't really know exactly what's happening behind the scenes, but they're running the Saints offense in college. And he's a grad. He's essentially a grad school player. He's taken one class and he gets he was basically like an NFL player at 23 years old, running an NFL offense against college kids last year with three NFL caliber receivers and an NFL caliber tight end and an NFL caliber running back and all this stuff. That's not to diminish what he has done because I think he was spectacular. But the long story short is. One spectacular year from Joe Burrow, three elite years from Baker. Baker still probably was a cleaner 
pure on-field prospect than Barrow coming out. But Barrow's pretty close, and he does everything you want an NFL quarterback to do. That's the interesting part is that, you know, you can look, if you want to look at his thing or his season in unfavorable light, you can say, well, look at all the stuff that he's, he's good at all these things that don't translate, like incredible under pressure, all the things that are volatile that don't tend to translate year on year and aren't predictive. He was too good at that stuff. So you got to expect some kind of regression. Right. The thing is, he was also really good at the stuff that does translate, the stable stuff. Like all of his numbers on that, on the things that do translate were insane as well. So even if you get some kind of regression from the stuff that is, you know, volatile and not sticky, like the rest of the stuff should still give him a high baseline. Yeah. So I'm doing a whole study on our um, stable and unstable metrics. I mean, he really was like first in all of them, all of our stable metrics. He's first, all of our unstable stuff. He's first. I will say. The outside the pocket stuff, I don't know how you feel about this one. The outside the pocket stuff, while unstable year to year, I want my quarterback to show that he can make plays outside structure, right? I just want that right now. To me, that was what kept Josh Rosen down a little bit uh, a couple years ago. It's also like if you are looking at Josh Allen and only focusing on that versus the in-pocket stuff, that's that's overrating it. But after my quarterback has a foundation of like, I know he can win within the pocket, I really want him to be able to win outside of structure. And Barrow was our highest graded guy outside the pocket last year. And it was the same kind of story with Baker in terms of um, like, it was hard to find a number where he wasn't pretty comfortably leading everybody. Right. Right. Same idea with Burrow, right? It's difficult to find data points where he isn't clearly the best person in in, in the draft class. I love that. So we have our producer here, Ken. Uh, Ken is just psychotic Bengals fan. Ken is still typing. He's still typing. Of still typing. Still typing. Um, Ben's hot take, or Ben? Kenneth's Ken. hot take, Ken, um, is that Burrow is going to the best situation for a number one pick in a long time. He's also dropping. Uh, because obviously he's going to the Bengals. He's also dropping Terrell Owens. That's my quarterback. Yes. Yeah. I don't think the Bengals have the best situation right now. No, that huh. is that is a really hot take, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, Ken, you're not going to be on the show anytime soon with those types of takes. The, uh, you're going to have to up your take game yeah, and actually make it make sense. Bengals don't feel like a great situation when you consider that their offensive line was awful. Now it should get better because Jonah Williams is coming back. But still, bad. Uh, your receiving core wasn't great to begin with, and A.J. Green's probably leaving. Well, so here's what's going to happen. He wasn't there last They'll year. They'll re-sign A.J. Green, bring him back. Okay. Yeah, Tyler Boyd. Yeah. John Ross, I mean... Joe Burrow is going to get the most out of John Ross. Of Tyler Eifert is going to get all sorts of HGH'd up and come back as well. He's going to stay healthy for a year. Jonah Williams is going to get that offensive line to creep back well past average coming back after missing last year. There it is. I just talked myself into it. Then they'll draft a second. The tackle class is so deep. They'll draft Tristan Wirfs beginning of the second round. He locks down the right side. Jonah's on the left side. And then boom, our hometown Bengals eight and eight next year. Hmm. Eight one score games last year. Come on, guys. Oh, he's, he's got some data. To, I mean, that's a good take. Eight one score games last year for the Bengals. They weren't as bad as you think. They were pretty bad. Hashtag they're still pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to be better. Which job should I pitch next week? Is that a secret? I mean, not anymore. One of the segments we're thinking of doing for the, uh, the PFF live show is Steve actually doing his interview. 
to an actual NFL person. We're trying to find an NFL person that will hear my interview and yeah. kind of like you know, throw a grade on it or you something. You can sit down. You can tell them about the hashtag that you're going to create for that team. You know, it's important to have a hashtag. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing in today's Right. I need a age. team. I, so we're like you're almost gonna, a week away. I need a team to yeah. prep for here. You're going to show them that you've reinvented coverage. Yeah, you know, that's on my you're list. You're not going to run cover two, cover three. You're going to you've invent you've reinvented coverage. Just gonna, drop to the hot point in the map. Edge defenders are the new closers. I don't want to give away the whole, the whole spiel. Right, but, but you're going to have a whole job interview essentially showing the NFL that you're ready yeah. for a job. And this guy having NFL experience is going to give us an honest reaction as to what would happen if you did that in the room. This is great. The people need to see. We need a we need a projector or something. The people need to see my PowerPoint work. Yes. Somehow we need to display that. God. Maybe we'll put an article at PFF.com. This could be what, it, what we do. <laughs> we put an article at PFF with my interview PowerPoint, and people can log on and read it as I'm presenting. Mm. That could be what it is. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do. You do. Hold all my calls, Michael. This week, I am in the office creating my PowerPoint taking over a team what job am i interviewing for i need to know this uh, well let's go All gm gm slash dc i think you should go gm my reinvented coverage i don't know if i have that type of pull as the gm i can't just tell my defense coordinator how to cover or can I? of course you can you hire the guy that shares your vision for the future yeah that's true and your vision right. of the future is going to be reinventing coverage you're going to help me with this at all like how much maybe, do, you, maybe. do you want a job when i'm a gm well, so far, the best job I've been offered in your regimes has been like social media guy. Well, let me see how much you can contribute to my uh, interview here. I'd plan on contributing quite a lot of ridicule. Does that help? Do you what? I'd planned on contributing quite a lot of ridicule. Yeah, you probably won't get a gig no. after I get a gig. Okay. All right. Anyway, Joe Burrow. So he's by far the best. What's the separate him from Tua for me other than the fact that one of them is a working hip? Yeah, I just can't believe two working how, hips. In fact, two is two is missing something to me. He two reminds me a lot of Jimmy G. I thought that before the season and now, and I've compared Jimmy G to Hasselback. I mean, two the the comparison I made to Jimmy G is the quick release. I mean, it's quick. Two has got a little bit more arm than I maybe gave him credit for before the season. He's got a little bit more zip on it, and maybe it's because I just watched Barrow, who doesn't have zip necessarily. Not that it matters for him. Um, but Tua cycles back and forth between, wow, look how fast he's going through progressions. He's quick-minded. And then a few times, you know how Jimmy G just all of a sudden just doesn't see a linebacker? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, why are you holding the ball for three and a half seconds? when you, Tua has a, some of those plays in his game where you're just about to say, like, wow, mastery of the offense. Wow, he's doing everything so quickly. And then other times he's just, like, slow going yeah. through things. Tua has, I don't think Tua throws with great anticipation, but when he sees, here's an outbreak, I'm going to put it there, he can do that. So he's more of a see-it-throw-it type of guy. Burrow, I think, can do all of that. He can see it, throw it. He can throw with anticipation. Uh, quick decision-maker. He has a couple hero plays he needs to cut out as well. But he was so good. The hero plays were so good, it's like, all right, I'll take a few of those negatives because he really, Burrow created outside the pocket better than Tua did, and that's not supposed to be the narrative or, or his game. And he's dealing with a similar sort of knock in terms of look at that receiving core. Oh yeah. Like both receiving cores. If you're be successful given the yes. group he was throwing to, you would have major problems. Both Alabama and LSU have, I mean, first rounders all over the place as far as receiving cores go. They and have just, a dramatic, like normally this idea of college X over anything NFL Y is absurd. 
but Alabama definitely had a better receiving core than the Patriots did last year <laughs> yeah, by they, a distance. They did. They had guys that could get open and the fa- now they're way fa- everybody's faster right. than everybody. Like if, you'd offered, it out. if you'd offered Belichick a straight swap between Alabama's receiving he would consider core, it. He would take it. Not even consider. Yes. He would take it in a heartbeat. Yes. Um, plus Irv Smith the year before second round tight end to the Vikings. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, Burrow does a lot of things extremely well. I cannot believe how many passes he threw that were just like face mask high exactly where he wanted. I mean, like 20 yards down the field, 30 yards down the field. Reason. Yeah, it was just like Reason. it made it look so it was just easy. People talk about he throws a catchable ball. And I do think there's something to not to pick on Josh Allen again, like a Josh Allen <laughs> 10 yard laser where it's like you're kind of fighting it to catch it. And Burrow just throws this nice, easy. He throws it just hard enough to get it there for catch and run opportunities. Now, I think Burrow and Tua, like I said, Tua's arms better than I anticipated, but it's not a cannon. Like there'll be with Burrow, I specifically said in the breakdown, there'll be some of the tight window throws you got away with at LSU that probably get knocked away at the NFL level. I don't think it's going to kill him, but there's a couple. He just kind of like floated backside and it gets there and it you know, gets knocked away at the next level. But I think Burrow, you can win. He he completed 82% of his in-breaking routes. So if you just go slants, ins, including deep digs, posts, anything this, in-breaking. This can be all part of your presentation. 82%. What, what, am I the Bengal? Just run in-breakers. All we're going to run from every position is in-breaking routes. Yes. That's, that's a great way to sound like an idiot. Slants across the board. Guy. Look, if Everybody we just run slants. these four routes, that's all you need. You've heard of four, four verticals. We're going to run four slants. <laughs> that is a play. All slants. Yeah, of course, people run all slants all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't want all slants because you want to have a you want to have a two beater and a one beater opposite. You don't want to have the same stuff. You don't want to run all all slants is stupid. You want to run all slants on one side and then have you know a different type of coverage beater on the other side. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's why you could run slant flat in all slants. Right. Mm-hmm. We run a little tiger dragon. Something like that, but you don't want to just throw him lingo. Yeah. Bruce has that one play that he just like rattles off. It's like the one play. I, yeah, it is. It's awesome. Bruce has it down. Pretty sure it is the only play that he remembers. It's the one play that Chris Sims, I'm telling you, I don't know why you don't want to have Chris Sims on the show because we can ask him the same play call that Gruden asks him that he screwed up as he must, somebody else must do that, right? Like, recite the play call that he kept screwing up in the famous Gruden clip. Mm. We could have some fun with Chris Sims on the show. Maybe he's one of our fallback. Chris Sims is a fallback guy. I'll just say it right now. We have to do the whole show with a top button. Yeah, yeah. We want, we want our, we want our uh, that's guests to feel comfortable. But that's uncomfortable. We yeah, feel uncomfortable so our guests can feel comfortable. Can we I'm not going to lie. Chris Sims, you're a D-list celebrity for our... Uh, you're, you're, a, you're a D-lister as far as our group of uh, potential guests. But, you know, we'll see. If A, B, and C all fall through, we, we got Chris. That'll really help snag him. This is, this is part, of the, it's part of the shtick here. Uh, it's part of the game. Okay. Just let me go. Um, knock yourself out. He's our number four option. Huh. He's on the list of number four options. Like, he's not the number four option. Like, he's on the list of the fourth best options. Okay. But if we have to land at Chris Sims, top button and all, you know, I think we could have some fun with it. Anyway, Joe Burrow is pretty awesome. Check out my breakdown. At PFF.com, I think he's definitely the guy that the Bengals should take. Um, I think two is close, but Burrow's got a little bit more, man, just the high-end stuff that he did. As good as he was on the out in the in-breakers, 
His touch passes were incredible. I mean, he was good at everything last year. Those two are like a pretty clear one, too, right? There's like, yeah, I think there's a drop off yeah. with um, Justin Herbert being three. And honestly, I don't know if there's any other first round caliber guys beyond that. There's rumors that guys like Jacob Eason are going to sneak in there. Jake Fromm. I mean, it's it's rumor season where anybody that, you know, right. is over six feet and can throw a football is going to get rumored into the first round. Yes. So I think there's probably three first round picks. But the lower you get, there's already a report out there today that the Dolphins like Herbert over Tua. There's already been rumors that the Bengals like Herbert as their guy. Um, please just don't get sucked into six, six. Oh, people will. in the in the can in front. There's of. too many people in the NFL that live for that. That are going to be like, I love it. I can, uh, plus, everyone is still like, so Josh Allen, roaring success. Daniel Jones, roaring success in the eyes of some. There are so going to be people who look what, at that as a positive data point for know, drafting prototypical, inverted commas. Do you know what arm strength's like, though? Quarterbacks. Arm strength's like our running back argument, right? Is there a difference in running back skill from this guy to this guy? Yes. You can have this much difference. A big difference in skill that only leads to a little bit of a difference in production. All arm strength is, is like the icing on the cake. If you do everything else well, you can afford to do everything less well because your arm strength makes up for it. You could be a little bit later. You might have a few more tight window throw opportunities, but you still have to be accurate on them, right? It just gives you a little bit more leeway with all the other stuff. But if arm strength is the basis for your analysis and that's what it would be if you're comparing burrow Tua, and herbert you're starting with velocity in this in perceived upside yeah and uh my friend mike tannenbaum's a big herbert fan because i think he's blinded by Dude, by size there's and, gonna and be a lot strength. of people i like i'm saying that the people that are already on that bandwagon are seeing daniel jones and josh allen as like positive reinforcement data points for that they're going to be emboldened by this yeah. by the relative success of those two more than they are like learning from that. I was just looking. Sorry, Jordan Love is the other guy getting a lot of first round hype too. I was just looking uh, for draft rankings to find out where the rest of the world has my boy Jamar Smith ranked. Right? Oh, jeez, my guy. Ella, uh, I think we're Louisiana ready to like your guy podcast. Right? Louisiana yes. Tech. Yeah, Louisiana Tech quarterback who I will happily admit I haven't actually watched in a year, um, but I assume much the same has happened this season than happened before. Now. I looked in somebody's rankings that are 20 quarterbacks deep, and he's not on the list, right? So he's apparently ranked beyond 20. On that list is Shea Patterson and Brian Lewerke, who Eric calls Brian Lewerke's. Those quarterbacks are not better than Jamar Smith. I f- freely admit that I have not dived deep into this class yet, but Lewerke's there's no way. Been pretty bad. There's no way those two guys are better than Jamar Smith. Uh, Lewerke... I have comps for both those guys. Perfect. Who you got? One guy nobody's going to know. Matt Grothy. Yes. Remember him? Yes. USF. Bad. Couldn't throw the ball. Yeah. Is like the guy that, oh, you know, I'll pick up six on third and six on the ground just to like keep some drives alive, but I'm not really that good at quarterback. Yeah. That's Brian Lewerke. Perfect. Shea Patterson reminds me of Josh McCown. Okay. That's not terrible. No. I mean, it's not great, but. No, but it's more like I'm um, a little bit more uncomfortable playing outside of structure. I'm going <laughs> to. It's like the bad part. I'm probably. Oh, yeah. I'm probably going to hold the ball. So we were looking through the archive. Josh McCown had a play that we could have given like a minus four before. <laughs> he like fumbled. He like dropped the snap, picked it up and then made a minus two throw. I forget what it yeah. was. It was it was with Tampa Bay a few years ago. I mean, Josh McCown's 
bad. That was like right was after earning himself a starting gig. Oh yeah, after Six he had that great stretch 2013. Exactly. So uh, the Josh McCown comparison for Shea is like I I, I could see Shea sticking around as like an NFL backup who comes in and wins outside of structure and you know keeps the defense off balance for like two and a half games. Okay. I'm just saying there's no way those two guys are better than my guy Jamar Smith. Maybe you should do some research. I already we'll did. have a little breakdown. Lewerke. Shea Patterson and Jamar Smith. It'll uh, people will love it. I did some research a couple of years ago, and there's no way anything changed in that period of time. Nothing's changed. Nothing. No, players never change. Yeah, first impression. That's all you get from Sam. God, he's not in the top twenty at Walter Football either. The, the world is sleeping Why on, are you looking on at Jamar all these Smith. Terrible rankings. Because I know what our rankings are. I'm looking. At, uh, I'm looking for the perception. Where is Jamar ranked out there in the world? Well, we apparently we the answer perception. is beyond twenty. It's time for us to create perception. The Jamar Smith podcast coming I'm on, on Thursday. We'll get Boston Scott on. He'll tell us. We should invite Boston to the show to. Why is that going to go to the show? Him. The dude's not going to be an indie. No, I mean our we show. Get, yeah, our show. Get him on our show. I'm on the, and on he the can podcast. tell us about Jamar Smith and why he's great. Work on that. Is that it for today? Sure. So live show. Yes. That's it for us today. Live show. Thursday, 27th at 7 p.m. Tell your friends. Tin roof. um, Be like the University of Michigan student who is one of our diehard podcast fans. He has an exam that night. I would never suggest skipping the exam for the PFF live show. However, he's sending his girlfriend to represent. Yeah. The couple at the show. So send know. your girlfriend if you can't make it. I don't even know what website this is, but there's like people with fake names that are ranked ahead of Jamar Smith. Case Cookus? That's not a name. No, that's not real. He's not a real person. Jacob Knip? Nip? Knip? Whatever. Who that's not a quarter. Is this Emery? No. I, well, maybe it is. I don't know. Who's that? Could be Emery's rankings. All I'm saying is there's no way these people are better than Jamar Smith either. Look, there's a lot of shade being thrown in the direction of Jamar Smith, and I'm not happy with it. We'll rectify that. Our mission for the rest of draft season is to get Jamar Smith. First round hype. <laughs> Let's at least, I'm going to put the rumor out there. All right, here's the deal, podcast listeners. I'm going to put the rumor that he's a day two. Day two. Prospect. Start, start. I'm oh, going to like put it. this rumor out there and we are going to track. Okay, so it's on our listeners. There's a dude that does that. There's a guy with the mock drafts thing. Let's see if we can. So I know, but that's, but that's like a draft stock yes. thing. I want our listeners to track Jamar Smith hype. We will start it, okay? And you let me know, like, when does Florio start making stuff up? When does when does Mike Freeman start, you know, saying that he talked to 17 GMs who also agree? You know, when, when does that stuff start to pick up? Okay, so we'll start the Jamar Smith hype. I want Ooh. our listeners to track it for us. Ken just added some new information to the table. Apparently, yes. Jamar got himself suspended. Oh, so that's not helping from what? Not just a game like football from football for good. Uh, No, I don't think so. That was in November. Yeah. So, you know, he's probably fine now. All right. Maybe I'm not going to start the hype. I don't want to be there. There may be some red flags. I don't want to be attached to that. I'm just apparently new information has come to light. There may be some red flags associated with his play. Let's wrap it up. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back Thursday. More PFF NFL podcast again, live show. We'll have even more details on Thursday and how you guys can get there. And I mean, it's the tin roof. <laughs> Go to the tin roof. Sports betting apparently was the problem. Yeah, that's going to be an issue. No, that's that's OK. The NFL. Oh, NFL doesn't want any part of that yet. They, they just moved to Vegas. Yeah, but you're yeah. still you can't bet on a game. You're Jamar like Smith to, to Vegas. That's the rumor. Vegas Raiders. They like them in day two. Where you can properly bet on games.
Gruden loves him. Day two, Jamar Smith, Las Vegas Raiders. Get himself close to the sports book where he can really get in there. See you guys Thursday. I would never, never recommend. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.